All right, good morning. Buenos días. Uh, Ernesto, I was thinking as you... Uh, Ernesto, try it again with us, uh, the rhythm, the clapping. I think for me, being a widow, being a white guy, we need to try that one time with an English song too. Like, as I'm trying to sing in Spanish, it's too much for me to sing in Spanish, to clap my hands and, and do that all at the same time. But I, I, I am a man and I know I can't multitask, so... As we've gone through the last few weeks, as we've gone through some difficult passages and some, some things where we've considered who we truly are before God. And as I was studying this, I'm like, God, I want to, I wanna, let's come out of that. Let's, let's come to this like we talked about. Let's see the hope. Let's move past this. And as I read these two verses that we're going to go over today that we're going to teach, I'm like, this is connected to what we've been talking about. I, I wish that James was starting a brand new thought and we'd be going into a brand new place, but, but it's connected. We have to look at the text within the context of what he's saying and what he's communicating to us. And God is the God, we talked last week, of order. That this gospel is a gospel of order. That, that he wants us to focus on first things first and then we'll get to second things. But we can't start with second things or we'll miss the first things and we'll never get to them. And we talked about this idea that there has to be a cross before there was a resurrection. That we had to start there, that Jesus Christ had to come, that He had to live that perfect life, that He had to go to the cross to pay for our sins so that He could be buried and then resurrected. We talked about that we have to understand that, that we are more sinful and flawed than we can ever imagine. We cannot grasp the depth of our depravity, the depth of our issues. But yet, at the same time, at the very same time, we can't imagine how much God loves us and through Jesus Christ, how much we are accepted. We are more accepted and loved than we could ever believe. And those are crazy thoughts. They're crazy thoughts that seem so far away, but yet that's the depth, that's the width of God's love. That's how much He loves us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how our sin is as much as God loves us and God brings us through that. And so we talked about this process of the gospel last week, that, that we have to start with truth, and we see the truth in God's word, that that truth would lead us to a place of humility, that we'd be humble before God, that we'd realize who I am and who God is, and we would have a right theology, right? We, we would respond appropriately because we understand who God is and who I am. And understanding that, then we would submit. If He's God and I'm not, if He's holy and I'm not, then I'm going to submit to His ways, and as I submit... He's going to give me grace. As He gives us grace, He gives us that opportunity to live the way that He wants us to live, to live in this way that would be worthy of the gospel. But we have to submit. We have to see ourselves and submit to receive that grace. But as we receive this grace, then it makes us righteous. That we're acceptable to God because of this grace that He's given us. And being righteous, then we're blessed. Then we're happy. Then we have this joy that we can't explain. Then we have this joy that won't fade regardless of our situation, regardless of how well things are going or how difficult things are. We'll have this joy because we've received this grace. And so let me just walk briefly through where we were last week. We started out with that idea, this process of the gospel, that we have to look at the the sinful behavior. And in verse 4.1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? They were fighting. The body was fighting amongst themselves. 
They were quarreling with each other. These were believers. These were people that had come to faith in Jesus Christ and yet they couldn't get along. And not just they couldn't get along, but they were fighting with each other. And he moves from this sinful behavior into verse 1 through verse 3 and he explains the heart behind it. It's like, what's your heart issue? And he basically says, is it not that your passions are at war within you? Because of all this that's going on in your heart, you're fighting with each other. Because of the covetousness you have, you're, you decide to murder, you decide to fight with each other. And then in verse 4, he moves to this, this gospel misunderstanding. Here's the behavior, here's the heart issue, and you have this heart issue because you don't understand the gospel. Don't you know, you can't be one with the world and be one with God. You can't have both. God has put this spirit in you and He wants it completely. You have to give it to Him completely. You need to submit. And then from that gospel misunderstanding, He moves to gospel understanding. He's like, God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. And he moves right into the next step. So submit. Verse 7. Submit therefore to God. As we submit, as we receive this grace, then God will cause the devil to flee. God will draw near to us as we draw near to him. And then verse 10. Which I told you if we were going to talk about one verse, it would be verse 10. It summarizes and says, So therefore humble yourself in the presence of God, looking at God, understanding who God is, humble yourself, and then He will exalt you. He will exalt you. He will raise you up to the highest place. But it starts with this humility. It ends with this exaltation. And so to get to the exaltation, to get to this place with God, to get to be one with Him, to get to be walking in this joy, we have to start with humility. And so as I read these next two verses, I'm like, okay, if we understand God and we understand ourselves, what's next? If I, if I love God and I understand His love for me, what's next? I understand this perspective of the gospel. I understand my position in the gospel. What's next? And remember what he talked about last week. One of the last imperatives before last week that James had given us. One of the last commands he said was to, to speak and act as those who are to be judged under this gospel. To be judged under this law of liberty. So how are we to speak and act? If we have all this understanding, what's it going to look like? What's going to come out of our mouths? And what's, what are our lives, what are our hands and feet going to do? And if we get that right vertical perspective, it will always lead to right horizontal application. If I see myself and I understand God, I understand myself, I humble before Him, I'm always going to love my neighbor. If I love God and I truly love God, I will love my neighbor. If I can't love my neighbor, something's wrong with my love for God. And we have to go back and look at that vertical piece. That vertical piece, though, should always lead to horizontal application. And I realized as I read this, talking about humbling, that humbling is about a position. It's about becoming low before God. It literally means a, a low valley. And so our position is important. And we understand our position before God. God, you're God, I'm not. I'm way down here. But then we start to look at each other. And we start to get confused about our position. And as we love each other, as we love our neighbor, as we love those in the body, we have to think about our position. And the best definition I've ever heard of love, and I want to use it over and over again, is simple. It's just you before me. You before me. I'm behind you. You're in front of me. I'm going to give you that place in front of me. God, you're above me. I'm below you. But my neighbor, you before me. And as I think about our culture, that's not how we act. Nothing in our culture says you before me. 
on Thursday. I had a, a meeting that finished at 12.45 at work. I had a meeting that started at 2 at another facility. I had to go from, from a, an off-campus back to the hospital. And in between there, I had to have a 1 o'clock conference call. And of course, I wanted to figure out the most important thing, how was I going to fit lunch into that time? And so, I'm like, I got to go from here to there. That's going to take me this much time. They're going to call me from Cleveland. I got to be ready when the phone rings. But I don't want to miss if I wait for that and then leave. I'm going to miss lunch and then it's going to be 3 o'clock. And what am I going to do? This is the difficulties in my day. So, like, all right, I know what I can do. And, and I told you, I don't know why I have to tell you guys where I eat every week. But and I usually I try and eat well. But I went to Wendy's. All right. I hadn't eaten at Wendy's in a long time, but I'm like, okay, this will be quick, this will be fast, and I, I'm going to park here in the parking lot, and the way that Wendy's was, the way the drive through went, I can park in this spot, I backed into a parking spot where when I'm done with this phone call, I can immediately just get right in line for the drive through because I didn't want to be in the drive through and they called me for this conference call or be eating my chicken sandwich, I didn't get a burger, and, and, them, and them calling me while I'm trying in the middle of eating, my fries will get cold, right? So, so I park there, I have this meeting, as I have this meeting, it pushes on past one o'clock, and as one o'clock comes, the line gets longer and longer, okay? And I'm backed into this parking space, and the line is well beyond me, but I have nowhere to go. I only can go forward, I can't back up, and I have to get right in line. And so I'm, look, I want to be fair, because there are people beyond me in line, I'm like, okay, that black Honda, that's the one that's in the back of the line now. When that black Honda gets up to me, I'm going to pull in. Well, the black Honda got up to where I was, and of course there were like three more cars behind the black Honda by that time. And I like started, hey, you know, can I get in? No. I was like, oh, okay, all right, I'm going to wait, I'm going to be patient. I, I couldn't move, and the next car comes, and like, they were like, and I'm just like, they will not let me go in, like, what am I going to do? I, I've got to go forward. So then the third car came, I was like, Lord, I'm going, I mean, I'm just going to pull out, I'm going to just inch out. I didn't get in a fight, nothing happened, but it showed me, like, no one was willing for me to go before them, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, wow, I'm so glad we don't do that as believers, I'm so glad that we don't act that way, and as we're out in the world, and I'm so glad, even more so, that we don't act that way amongst ourselves, because we would never do that here, we would never do that with believers, and you know that's not true. When we went to Cornerstone, and I'm not, I'm not dissing Cornerstone, right? But we went to Cornerstone, and we went there to be sent off, and we needed to sit in this service all together. We're going to all sit together, and we went as early as we could in the service, and where there'd be as many open seats, we're going to find this spot. And as we went in, I think it was Emmanuel and Melanie that went to sit down first, and this guy was right behind him. He says, "Oh, I, I'm sorry, those are our seats. We sit there every week. Could you guys sit in a different spot?" And I was like. Whoa, like, so, so they would not allow us to sit in these seats because those were their seats. And, and I started to think to them, like, how could they do that? We do it. We do it all of the time. We do it because we don't understand our position with our neighbors. And so the big idea of this passage as we go through this, is that right humility before God always leads to right humility before others. If we're humble before God, we will be humble before others. If we understand our position before God, then we'll have a right perspective on our position with others. And so let's go through the passage, and we'll read this together. 
and then go through it verse by verse. Chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So this week we only have one command, one imperative. Last week in verses 7 through 10, there were 10 imperatives in three verses. There were 10 commands. This week, just one. It's pretty simple. It says, do not speak evil against your brother. And so let me start at the end of that. He says, brothers. This, as we said before, this is the body. This is people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. These are people that are united together in Christ. They're one in Christ, and yet they're treating each other this way. They're quarreling. They're fighting. They're speaking evil against one another. And it's reciprocal. It says to one another. It's going both ways. James is not pointing to one group or to one person saying, why are you speaking in this manner? He's pointing to all of them. All y'all, right? All y'all are doing this. It's going both ways. But he says speaking evil. What does that mean? What does it mean to speak evil against someone? As simple as I can say it is to criticize others and to find fault. When I criticize my brother, and when I find fault with my brother, I'm speaking evil against him. And it literally has this idea, again, a position that I'm speaking down against him. I'm speaking for it to bring him down, to, to, to bring him evil, to bring him low. And there are different ways to do that. And you might think, well, I don't, you know, outwardly speak evil to my brother. I don't say terrible things to him or her. And it can be that we, we say these false accusations, we make up these things just to hurt someone, just to say evil things, just to make them feel bad. That could be speaking evil against them. But I think more than that, what we tend to do, and what I think is the same thing, is we find fault in them. And as far as I know, all of you guys have some fault. As far as I know, I have faults. If you don't think you have fault, ask your spouse. They'll tell you what your fault is. And it's very clear. But what we'll do is we'll take those faults and we'll exaggerate them. We'll make them bigger than they are. Or we'll take those faults and we'll repeat them over and over again needlessly. We'll just talk about their issue over and over and over again. So I'm making this bigger thing than it is. I'm just trying to, again, push them down to speak down against them. And why in the world would we do this? Why would we do this? And I realize as I push someone down, as I speak down against them, in the end I'm bringing myself up. It's all about me. It's all about how I feel about myself. If I can speak, push them down, speak against them, it raises myself up. And if we understand our perspective with God, we'll understand our perspective with our neighbor. But we don't. And so we start to compare. This speaking evil, I think actually where it comes from is we look to compare with each other. We're incessantly comparing our lives with those lives around us. And I think in the body, even more so. We can look at the world and I can dismiss the world, but like you guys, you guys are one in Christ with me. Let me look at you. Let me see what your life looks like. And I end up comparing my life with your life. My, my grace with your grace. What I'm doing versus what you're doing. And when we compare ourselves, we have to find some type of measure. 
Okay, how am I going to determine how I compare to you? I need a way to measure that. And when we measure things, we start to rank things. Well, this is where she falls, and this is where I fall. And then, well, I'm up here, or you're down here. I'm, you know, we, we see where everybody is in this continuum of where we rank. We have this need to compete, this need to be first. And again, I like to think, well, that's not me. I don't do that. And Friday afternoon, Grace took my two oldest girls to go to Mount Tasia, this fun park. They played bumper cars and laser tag and uh, goofy golf, putt-putt. And we met them afterwards at Tutti Frutti to, to connect, to get the girls. And we're sitting down and we're having yoga and they're telling about the day and all the things that they did. And as they talk about goofy golf, it got brought up, well, who won? And it turned out that Nata, Grace's daughter, had beat both my daughters. And for a second, I'm like, oh, you know, okay, what's up with that? Why didn't, you know, I had two daughters and they, they lost her one daughter. And, and then I found out she had the scorecard. She said, yeah, and we were keeping the score and then the scorecard was on the table. And I'm like, can, can I see the scorecard? And I had the need somehow to go check this scorecard to see my daughters where their score was worse than not to score. I'm like, you know what? You know, these are kids keeping the score. Let me, let me add this score up. I want to make sure it's correct. You know, because I want it to be truthful. I want it to be right. And, and maybe they didn't actually lose to her. And I'm like, I needed to compare my daughter's goofy golf scores so I could feel better about myself. I, I felt somehow depressed a little bit that they would not do well in goofy golf. And we laugh, but we do that all the time. It's just a small condition, this stupid, simple thing. You know, think about the things that are major, the things that are significant in our lives and how we compare and how we measure and how we want to rank ourselves. Because when we compare, it's always self-focused. It's always about me. And whether we compare and we see ourselves above someone or we compare and we see ourselves below someone, I think two things happen. We justify our own faults. If we see our faults, we come up with all the reasons why we are the way we are. I looked at that scorecard and I said, well, as far as I know, Karina's only played goofy golf one time in her life. Of course she can't. You know, she's not going to win. She hasn't been trained. She hasn't been, she hasn't practiced. I mean, how can anybody who's played goofy golf once do well at goofy golf? And then it went from there until I started to think about Nata and I started to find faults in the other. So I've justified myself, but yet I found fault in the other. And I found out Nata had been to play goofy golf three times. And I'm like, she's played goofy golf three times. Of course she beat my daughter. And man, if she played goofy golf three times, it seems like she would have beat her by more. I mean, shouldn't she be better than she is? I mean, my daughter almost beat her, but she's played three times. But you guys see how crazy that is. That all comes from comparison. It all comes from looking at ourselves, measuring ourselves with other people, ranking ourselves, and we justify ourselves and we find fault in each other. When we find that fault in each other, when we criticize each other, we're speaking evil against each other. And again, I'm glad that doesn't happen in the body. And when I say those things out loud to God, God shows me, usually myself. A lot of times he shows me what, what you guys do wrong first, but then always he ends up with me. And one of the hardest points in my week is Thursday night when I go to bed. Now Thursday night when I go to bed, I realize I spent this time preparing this message. I, I've done the things that I need to do, but like 
Friday and Saturday are going to be crazy for me. And I got to go to work. And I work 40 hours. I have a job and I have, I have a family and I have four kids and, then, and, and this function in the church and all these things I've got to do. But now I've got to take this Friday night, this Saturday morning, Saturday night and finish what I've studied and preparing this word and be able to speak to you guys and speak from God's word. And the thing that enters my mind is what is everybody else going to be doing on Friday night? Boy, they don't have any responsibilities. They're going to go do whatever they want. They're going to go out and have fun on Friday night. And I'm going to be sitting here studying the Word of God. I'm going to have to get up Saturday morning and go to McDonald's and have my coffee and study the Word of God. I've got to do all this. And then I've got an interpreter waiting on me. And and, and nobody else is having to go through this. What are you guys doing on Friday and Saturday night? And And that's just crazy. How would I compare that? I get the privilege to sit up here and to teach and to speak God's word. And yet I would complain because I would compare myself to what you guys are doing. It's not right. It's speaking evil against you guys. And as I shared that story with Nidia yesterday, Nidia doesn't want me to tell this. She wants me to tell this, but it's not comfortable. She's like, oh, that's just like. And she tells me the story. I'm like, oh, I got to share that tomorrow. You, you You said it. And Mark, who you guys know, lived with us for six months. He's a part of our family. He's my mi, mi hijo Filipino. And when he was there, we started going out on Sunday nights. So that would be our time that Nita and I, we've got all this other stuff going on. We've got all these other responsibilities. But Sunday night at 8 o'clock, we would put the kids down to bed. And Mark would be there. And he would have to remain in our house and make sure, you know, the place doesn't fall apart. That everybody stays safe. And it was a great thing. It got, and Mark was gracious to do that. And then when Mark moved out, Mark's also continued to do that on Sunday nights. He gives us that time. That's our one time. And so Mark calls Nidia this week. And says, Nidia, I'm not going to be able to do Sunday night. I'm going to a birthday party. She says that, or he says that to her. And her mind immediately goes to, What? But these are these are my only two hours that I have that I know I'm going to have with my husband. Like to try and talk with my husband is usually at 12:30, and we're laying there in bed, and one of us is fighting not to fall asleep. And this is like at eight o'clock. You know, this is prime time. We can sit across the table with each other, stare at each other, look at each other, enjoy our meal, talk about what's going on. And you're going to take that away from me because you're going to go to a party. Who throws a party on a Sunday night? And you have all this time, Mark. You can do whatever you want to do. Like I have all these responsibilities. You don't have anything to do. You get to make all these choices. I don't have any choices. And you're taking my choice away. She started to compare. And when we compare, it gets us in trouble. So I ask you, who are you comparing yourself with? When you encounter difficulty, when things aren't going the way you are, when things are going great, who do you look at? And who do you look at specifically in this body and you start to compare yourself with? You look at someone and say, well, well, but, but they're, I'm single and they're married. And if I was married, I could devote this time to God or I could do this. Or, or well, well, their spouse actually is following the Lord and is leading their family. And, 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 and I'm here just trying to love this person that doesn't love the Lord. And, 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 and well, I, my kids are at the age where I just can't do that. And their kids are older. Or it just goes on and on. They have more money. They can make those decisions. Well, they can, they can decide about their vacation and where they're going to go. I, I don't even have that choice. I can't do that. I can't decide about having that time. It goes on and on. And so think about who are you comparing yourself with. 
And as you do that, I want to let you know that as you compare with each other, it always leads to judgment. All right? That's where James goes. If we compare, we start to criticize, we start to find fault, and it always leads to judgment. And when I say judgment, I'm talking about condemnation, about judgment, judging down on someone. Look at the rest of verse 11. He says, the one who speaks... The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So if this speaking against leads to judgment, it's, it's, it's combined with, it's connected to judgment. What is he saying here about judgment? What does that mean? And so judgment is specifically to pronounce an opinion. Because I have a position, I'm going to come in, I'm going to make this opinion, and this opinion is going to stick, that opinion is going to be fact, and usually it's to condemn someone. In this case, it's to condemn. I've made my determination because I have the right to, and my determination now becomes reality. But it has a lot to do with our position again. If you think about a courtroom, the judge sits higher in the courtroom than anyone else. The judge is up on their bench, sitting up higher, looking over the court. They have this position of authority to be able to do that. Because I'm the judge, I can judge you. I have that right. And we get our rights confused. We think we have that position because we don't understand our position correctly. As I was studying yesterday, Nidia went to, was out of the house and I had, who did I have? I had... Karina and Oran and Mariana. I mean, Karina, Oran, and Annalise. And I told the kids, once Annalise goes to sleep, you guys can play Wii. And so, you know, they were very prompt in telling me at 11.59 that it's almost 12 that she goes to bed at 12, make sure she get her in the, in the bed. So 12 o'clock, Annalise goes down, and I say, okay, Karina's going to play first, and then Oran. And 30 minutes later, right to the dot, Oran says, Papi, it's my time. Can I go tell Karina that it's my time? She needs to get off. I'm like, yeah, why don't you do this, mijo? Why don't you tell her? Are you willing to share with her and you guys play at the same time? He's like, yeah, I'll do that. I said, well, you tell her first. Are you willing to share and we'll play at the same time? If she doesn't want to do that, then it's your turn. She needs to get off. So what happens? Of course, he goes in the den where, where she's playing the week. Karina. It's, we got to play together. you got to get off the weed. No, I'm going to finish my game. i got to finish this game. I'm not getting off now. And what does he do? He runs right back to me because who am I? In this situation, I have the authority. I have the right to determine right and wrong and what's going to happen. And he pleads his case for me and says, Papi, she won't get off. I said, we'll play together, but she won't get off. And said, okay, mijo, go back and tell her that I said she's got to get off. It's time for her to get off. And Karina got off because he came to me because I had that authority. I had that position. And we judge each other because... We think we somehow have that position. We have that right to come into a situation and determine right or wrong and to tell people what's going to happen, to make that judgment, to make that determination, to condemn someone. But the gospel is involved in this. And you're like, well, how is the gospel involved? I don't see the gospel written here on these two verses. And if you notice where it says law, against the law, judges the law, it says the law repeatedly over and over again. And as Paul has talked about the law as we've gone through this, it's this law of Christ, this law of liberty. 
It's the gospel. It's this law of freedom that we have. And so as he speaks to this law, he says, basically, if we do this, if we speak against, if we speak evil of our brother or sister, or if we judge our brother and sister, what we're doing, in effect, is that we are speaking against the gospel, and we're judging the gospel. And we're not just standing over our brother and sister, but we're standing over the gospel and saying, you know what? Essentially, God, I think you got this wrong, and I think some of us deserve... Some of us don't need as much grace. Other people need more grace. And, 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 and this guy's not measuring up to me. We're ranking ourselves and saying, God, your gospel, I'm not sure that it's right. That we literally become judges of this grace that God has given us. And who is worthy of that? As we've talked about, as we've gone through this, none of us are worthy of the gospel. None of us deserve what Jesus Christ has done for us. None of us. None of us deserve it less or deserve it more. We don't deserve it. And we have to understand that. And what's crazy is once we've received that, once we've become believers, somehow we get this, this grace amnesia. We knew where we were. We came to this place like, God, I need you. God, I, I am I'm a sinner. God, will you please forgive me? God, you're God. I'm not... Please look. And he gives us forgiveness. He brings us in his family. And somehow we start to walk this life and we forget about that grace. We have amnesia. We can't remember. Like we start to think, maybe I did earn some of that. Or maybe I'm earning it now. Maybe I am performing to a way that God would give me grace. And I see this in my neighborhood. In a different way. In some of my neighbors in my own apartment building. And particularly as we talk about uh, most of my neighbors are immigrants. They came here from another country. And I've seen families that came here before 1982. They came here, they didn't have papers, they were undocumented. They lived here for a certain period of time. But then in 1986, President Reagan signed into to, to law this Immigration Act that gave them the opportunity to be permanent residents. And then on from permanent residents to be citizens. It wasn't from anything they did. It wasn't from anything that they had accomplished. It was because they were here. They had that right. They were given this grace. They were given this opportunity. And I hear those same people that received that in 1986 talk about their neighbor next door who came here after 1996 or 1986 and talk bad about them. And so I can't believe, look, they don't have papers and they're trying to do this and they're, they're, they're taking my money. They're bringing down the economy and they're judging those people and speaking evil against those people. I'm like... Weren't you in the same situation? Like, they came here for the same reasons that you came here. They're doing the same thing that you did. And just because they did it in 1982 and you did it in 1992, that makes a difference. But they forget and they, they receive this thing and then they go to make judgment on the people that are receiving the same grace. And they need the same grace. They need the same opportunity. And again, I'm glad we don't do that in the body. And Jesus never confronted anything like this. Right. This is new to him. And I want us to read, and, and this is a, a several verses, but it's a story from Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 23, and I'm going to read first. So we can read through it, and then Grace is going to read it in Spanish. But think about this in regards to what we just talked about, in regards to this grace amnesia, that we forget this grace that we receive. Chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And this is like an unbelievable amount of money, a bazillion billion dollars, okay? It's, it's unfathomable. He couldn't pay it back. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold 
with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you back everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to, you, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As I read that, I said, God, I don't want to do that. God, I don't want to be in that place. And that's the reason. That's the reason why James took us through what we've been through. That's the reason we've had to look at the depth of our sin to realize the depth of the love that God has for us. If we realize how much He's forgiven us, then we'll be able to love our neighbor. We'll love Him in response and we'll be able to love our neighbor. And the depth that we understand that, when we understand how much we've been forgiven, we can only love others that much. And I thought about when the woman came to Jesus when He was sitting with the Pharisees at the table and she began to to wash his feet, to anoint his feet, and to wash his feet with, a te- with their tears, with her hair. And the Pharisees got, got wild. What are you letting her do that for? And he's like, you don't understand. She has sinned much, so she's been forgiven much. And those who have forgiven much, they love much. Those who have been forgiven little, they love little. And we have to understand how much we've been forgiven, how much God loves us, how big His grace is, so that we can then love our neighbor. Because if we don't understand that, we're going to run real low on loving our neighbor. We're going to run out of gas. So the deeper we understand that, the better we can love our neighbor, the more godly we can be. And as you look at the end of that, it says, But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law but a judge. James has talked over and over again to us about being a doer of the word, a doer of this gospel, that our lives would proclaim and our lives would look like the gospel. We cannot be both. If we are a judge, if we are speaking evil against our neighbor, against our brothers and sisters, and we are judging them, we cannot be, we cannot be doers. You can't be both. When we are doers of the gospel, our lives are sacrificial and our lives are gracious. We give that grace that we've received. We're willing to sacrifice our lives, to submit our lives, and then we give this grace that we've received. Because I've received it, I give it. That's what our lives should look like. That's what our words should sound like. That's what our actions should demonstrate. And so I ask you right now, which are you doing? Because you can't be doing both. You're either judging or you're being a doer of the word. And so think about your, your walk this week. Think about your life. Did you do or did you judge? I want us to be doers of the word. And so look at verse 12 as I close. It says there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. 
But who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor? We have to remember who we are. There's only one judge, it's not us, it's God. And I will tell you, you do not want to be judged. You do not want to be the judge. Because if you are the judge, you're going to be judged in the same way, with the same measurement as you judge others. Christ said that. So see ourselves for who we are. Submit to God. Humble ourselves. Submit to Him. And He'll give us grace not to judge our neighbor. He'll give us grace not to speak evil against them. And I just want to say something as we... Because I don't want this to be misunderstood. He goes here and he's been saying, brother, brother, brother. And then at the end he says, neighbor. Like, well, why does he change? Why does he change from brother to neighbor? And understanding this and the... The best explanation is that he's talking about neighbor in the sense of those most proximate to you, those closest to you. You know, you guys are all my brothers and sisters and we are one in Christ, but there are some of you that I interact with more than others. There's some of you that live in closer proximity to me that I, I see more through the week. And that's going to happen for all of us. And it's easier to love people that are not close to you. All right? My family's in Atlanta, and it is easy for me to love my family from L.A. And when my family comes here and they stay a week, they stay 10 days, it's hard for me to love them. It's easier for me to love Mark right now that he's not living with us than it was for the six months when he was there. It's just the way it works. Because when we're in close proximity, we see everything about each other. We see all the faults that we have. We see all the issues. You see all the issues in me. I have all this ammunition, all these things that I can make determinations on, that I can judge, that I can speak against. That's what he's saying. Love your neighbor. Don't judge your neighbor, those closest to you. And I think for us, for us to be aware of that and for us to be cautious with that, as we, as we live in community and as we do interact with each other throughout the week, and particularly in our discipleship relationships, that we would not be in a place, when you're in that discipleship relationship, you're seeing that, that other person is transparent with you. You see their life. You have every opportunity to find their faults, to exaggerate their faults, to repeat on their faults to speak judgment in their lives. And we have to be careful that we're not doing that. But at the same time, as I've told you guys over and over again, we are to speak truth into each other's lives. Right? I told you as we do this discipleship, don't give your own opinion, give what God's Word says. Speak the truth of God into this person's life. And when we see sin in, in our brother and sister's lives, it is our responsibility to speak that to them. We have to do that. But when we do that, and even in 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about that we're to judge among the body. We're to do that. We're to be in each other's life, determining are our lives following the Word of God. But as we do that, when we speak that into each other's lives, it's not to condemn, it's not to bring down, it's always to restore. So when we speak the truth in each other's lives, we are not judging and make sure you're not judging. Make sure you're not finding those faults and exaggerating those faults and condemning them for the faults. That you're going to that and saying, this doesn't match up with the Word of God. This is what I see in your life. I, I want you to be restored and I want to be restored with you. It's for your restoration. And so as we do that, that's the purpose. That's the goal. So don't say, oh, Richard, don't, don't tell me anything. That's between me and God. You're judging me. Don't tell me what sin is going on in my life. No, that's our job. Okay? But don't condemn. Don't judge down on. Don't speak down to. So don't do it. It's that simple. Just like James says. Don't speak evil against your brother. Don't judge your brother. 
say, but, but I do it. When you find yourself doing it, then you need to go back to that gospel process. You need to review. You need to go back and have a refresher in the truth. You need to say, when I found this fault in my wife and I won't let it go and I'm judging her for that, I say, oh God, show me myself. I need to see myself. Who am I to judge my wife on this? Who am I to judge my brother or sister on this? Who am I to do that? See yourself of who you are. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. And God will give you grace to speak truth into that person's life, to love that person. As we consider that truth, as we understand that, then it will give us grace to love God. We'll say, God, you before me. You are above me, God. I am down here. God, you are so holy, I am not. But it will also give us grace to understand our position with our brother and sister, with our neighbor. Oh, God, you before me. I understand myself. I understand what God's done for me. You before me. And then we'll be able to love God and we'll be able to love our neighbor. So authentic humility before God always results in humility with our neighbor, with, our, with others. So if you're having difficulty with others, you're having difficulty with your brother, with your sister, you need to go back and you need to see yourself vertically before you interact with them horizontally. You need to get a right picture of you and God and them so that you can then love on them. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, Father. Lord, I'm so thankful for your truth. That we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. We don't have to make this up, Father. We can go to your word, that we can study your word, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate your word, will show us and allow us to obey everything that you've commanded us to do, Father. That's what your Spirit wants to do, is show us how can we walk in a manner worthy of your gospel. Lord, and I pray that you would just show us how much you love us, Lord, how deep, how the depth of our sin, but the, the greatness of your love. As our sin increased, your grace increased more, God. Lord, thank you for your love, Lord. And I thank you for, I pray that we would just receive that love and that we would not turn from it, we would not forget it, we would not have amnesia, Lord, but we would take that love. And because of your love for us, Lord, we would love you in return. Because you loved us first. And because you've loved us, Lord, that we're able to love others. So, Lord, allow us to love others. Lord, allow us to love others in a manner the gospel, Lord, that it be sacrificial and it will be gracious, Lord. Lord, do this amongst us, Lord. Change our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would be a body that would submit to you and that you would have your way with us. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.